standard issue for all women. Oh, hey, hello, and hi there. Happy Sunday, or indeed, whatever day out of the seven it is as you're listening. Mickey here with this week's Sunday Chops, and this week I am chatting to two women. Two, I know. Kayla Feldman and Amy Rosenthal. Kayla is directing The Ark, a trilogy of brand new short plays of which Amy's Birth is One, which is joined by Marriage, written by Alexis Sagerman, and Death, penned by Ryan Craig. It is hatches, matches, and dispatches through a Jewish lens, with The Ark as a whole shining the contemporary light on the cycle of Jewish life and what it means to live as a Jew in 2023. The Ark premieres at Soho Theatre on Tuesday the 15th of August and runs until Saturday the 26th of August, more details and indeed tickets can be had at SohoTheatre.com. In the second half of this chops, Amy will tell you a bit more about her play, Birth, what inspired it and the sometimes slippery nature of faith. But I kicked off chatting with Kayla about the specific rituals in universal experiences, whether art can win hearts and change minds and the challenges of directing three plays at once. Kayla, you're directing three plays at once. How do you bend your head around that? Oh, that's a very good question. I guess I'm I'm sort of treating this as three players but one show, that each play is a sort of snippet of, of life within one show. There are plenty of shows that, that do that, but are sort of fragments in a way. So in terms of three players at once or three scripts at once, I'm just seeing this as, it's one show. These are sort of three acts of that one show. And that's how I try to view it. The, the way that it's been most different, I think, from projects I've done before is dealing with three writers. I prefer working really closely with writers on the development of the script and making sure that I'm telling the story they intended when they wrote it. So I think that's been the biggest difference is keeping in mind three different writers with three different priorities, three different ways of working. But it's also been really nice to be able to work with three of them most influential, impactful, talented Jewish writers that are working today, which feels like a privilege and a joy. It's all positive so far, so. It all sounds very positive. Tell us about The Ark, which is the one show with the three scripts. The three plays are Birth, Marriage and Death. I chose that order because I thought, well, it makes sense. And also the opening of Birth felt like the top of a show and the ending of Death felt like the end of a show. And I, I did imagine it other ways and thought, um, you know, what if we put death at the beginning and did it in reverse order? I think I always imagined marriage in the middle. But it just, it felt like that was three acts. Birth feels like a first act. Marriage feels like a second act. Death feels like a third act. In the, you know, the play is the way that they are structured. But I think that the show, it feels very Jewish to me. And obviously, the, you know, I'm Jewish, the, the writers are Jewish. You know, it's it's created by Jews, but I think what I love about it, about it, which is I think what the writers intended, was that it's just everyday people doing everyday things. They just happen to be Jewish, and yeah. for me, at least, being Jewish is such a huge part of my identity. I'm like, well, everything I do feels Jewish because I'm Jewish, just in the same way that everything I do feels queer because I'm queer. You know, I brush my teeth in the morning and I carry, you know, all the different facets of my identity with me. Like I can't leave my Jewishness at home because it's in me, and I think that's what I well love about it is that it's in a way just another play just another play that's about ordinary human life well yeah you've got hatches matches and dispatches they are the universals right they span <laughs> all cultures all countries we're all yeah. involved in those and of course as the Lord walks of life jewishness isn't just one homogenous blob 
So yeah. I wondered, how does the Ark capture the Jewish experience or, or what does it say about Jewishness? I mean, you know, they say two Jews, three, three opinions. It's, it's the joke that's made most <laughs> often because it is so true. I think it's really hard to put my finger on what it is exactly about it that feels Jewish other than I see myself in it and the people that I know in that light. And I think that Amy Rosenthal's play, Burr, feels Jewish because when I'm in rehearsals, I'm like, oh, this is what happens when I when I go to a, a Jewish home, whether it's my family or, you know, my aunts and uncles. When I enter a Jewish home, I am fussed over and fed. And the most, you know, the most important things is what can I ask for you um, rather than, you know, why are you here? <laughs> the way that people speak as well is it's very, very Jewish. In Married by Alexis Zigerman, I think the the questions of do we have anything in common with other Jews just by virtue of being Jewish is do we have a responsibility to carry on the diaspora? Is Judaism a, a, a dying people? You know, what what are we looking for in a partner? Is it important that they're Jewish? Those those things that I think that not everyone thinks about. And in death, I I, I thought I've always that's you know, death by Brian Craig. I've always said things that the Jews do better than anyone else is death and food. <laughs> the way that we mourn, I have never been to a non-Jewish funeral, but when I describe Jewish funerals to people, they're like, that's wild, that's that's bonkers. And I don't think it is. I think it's so ordinary, but I also love the way I, you know, unfortunately been to a lot of funerals in my life. I think the way that we actually across all identities, all cultures, all countries, the way that we bury our dead is so crucial mm-hmm. to, our, to identity. And so crucial to humanity. Does that answer your question? It does. But now I'm intrigued because I've never been to a Jewish funeral and I'm imagining some sort of food fight that you all just like eat later. Tell me, tell me about it. Oh gosh. So a Jewish, I think the things that mark it for me is that death is sort of the great equaliser. Jews are all buried in the same white linens and the same basic casket that can't have any linings or embellishments. This idea that we're all equal in death and we go out of the world the same way we came into it and that we, we physically bury our dead. That I know that in other traditions, people, you know, what you see on TV is they throw a handful of dirt into the grave and that's it. And then the cemetery workers do the rest. Is that the people that actually fill the grave until it is full is the loved ones of the deceased person. And I've always found a great comfort in that and horror because the sound of dirt hitting a coffin is horrible. But, mm. um, but, but it, it's, it's a closure. It's a comforting is that we are sending you out into the world in the same way that we held you in it. And then we the mourners will sit in their home for seven days and people will bring them food. They sit shiver. Shiver just means seven. It's the seven days of mourning. And it's, you know, time for, you know, it's, there's rules that you want to have to cook for yourself or people don't tend to cook for themselves or they'll have um, clothing that's torn. I'm not doing a very good job of explaining this, but there's, there's a lot of ritual around Jewish death. I liked about your explanation as to what marks the arc out as Jewish, what, what it tells us about the Jewish experience is birth marriage death we all have rituals around it so you're touching on the specifically jewish rituals in the universal experience right yeah yeah yeah, absolutely like i think this is of anything i've directed this is one of the most jewish and also one of the most appealing to as broad a range of people as possible because i think a non-jew coming to the show would still understand everything and wouldn't need anything explained to them i don't think it's accessible that leads me very neatly onto my next point and that is that anti-Semitism has never gone away, but it does seem sadly to be very much on the rise, which is horrific. And I wondered how theatre, how art, or how, at least how you feel theatre, art, 
can play a role in getting or at least telling that kind of painless bigotry to, to jog on? Oh, that is an extraordinary question. There's a lot of data that shows that people generally behave better towards groups of people that they can identify with. For example, there's a lot of recent data to show that people are less likely to be transphobic if they know a trans person. And I think the same is true across the board. You know, you're less likely to be anti-Semitic if you actually know Jewish people, which, you know, is logical and makes sense. You're mm-hmm. not going to stick to your friends unless, you know, unless you hate your friends. <laughs> but I don't really know because there's not a lot of data on that. And I'm always, you know, I know that seems very scientific, but you cannot feel like you're making a difference when you're not. Like, I feel like art makes a difference because it makes a difference to me. But that doesn't mean that it's making any kind of positive wider impact. That sounds really depressing. But I think that the best ways that art and theatre specifically can make a positive impact to reducing anti-Semitism is A, making shows responsibly. So, for example, I think there's a lot of questions to be asked about Merchant of Venice and how how you do that shows like that responsibly that have Jewish characters but also being very aware when you're making Jewish work that, or, you know, work with Jewish themes, that is how the audience, how a non-Jewish audience perceives that. I'm not saying caters to them, but I am saying that there's something to be considered about how audiences are perceiving those people. I don't know. Sometimes I say things and then I go, oh, I don't mean that. Um, I I think I don't know the answer to this question because I would love to believe that theatre makes a massive difference, but I don't know if it does. And I, gosh, I don't know, I think. That is allowed as an answer, absolutely. It is yeah. such a big question. And I kind of cheekily chucked two in yeah. one there as well. Sarah Pascoe said something really interesting because obviously she tackles issues in her comedy. I always think laughing, if someone's laughing and they're listening, you're more likely to engage with it if, if something's making yeah. you laugh. That's just my, but that's because how I work, right? And she was like, she feels that people come along and they laugh and they get involved or they're cross at what she says. And then they feel like they've done something. That was them doing something as opposed to taking it away and doing more. Art is subjective and so is its audience, I guess. And I think some people learn about differences and think, oh, they're not that different anyway. And they go and they do change their attitude. So I think it depends on the person watching the theatre, yeah. the art. Yeah. And I think Sarah Pascoe is a great example because her second book, uh, Sex Power Money or Money, Sex Power, the entire final third of that book is just basically her having an existential crisis about sex work. What I took from that is, I don't know, is her, you know, her saying, I don't know, it's complicated. Mm-hmm. And I really loved reading a book that tackled such a huge topic and then went, actually, it's nuanced, I don't know. I thought that was amazing. So she's actually a great example because I think my answer is probably, it's nuanced and I don't know. I think we need to keep telling Jewish stories because the more that we do tell, I think maybe it is that it makes a very small difference. And if we keep doing it, maybe it will make a big difference. But I'm also thinking that like, we need to grow audiences as well, because it also depends who sees it, especially with theatre, because it's, you know it happens and then it's done, as opposed to TV and film, which are a lot more eternal. And it, it is about who sees it and how, how they connect with it and, and who is most likely to go to the theatre and all that practical stuff. But I think it's nuanced and I don't have a solid answer to that question, but I do think about it all the time. Okay. I think that's a great answer though. I really love that you were so honest instead of just trying to like bullshit. (laughs) Also, one final question for you, and I guess it's in the same wheelhouse just to warn you, but I would like to know what you would like audiences to take from coming to see the art. I'd like audiences to understand the microscopic and and just to see the microscopic ways in which being Jewish sort of feeds into everyday life as a a human being. And also to 
to see the ordinariness of Jewish life. I also think, above all, I want them to laugh. Amy Riskell actually said it something brilliant the other day that I think we this quote has been used every day in rehearsal, but I think we butchered it by now. Something about how trying to figure out whether something's funny or sad or whether it's tragedy or comedy. And she said, when we know that it's both or that we understand that it's both. And I think that was so so clever and so correct that tragedy and comedy is a a very Jewish thing, but also a very a very theatrical thing and a very you know the truest thing about life is that so much of life is tragedy and comedy combined, mm-hmm. and having one without the other is very rare. And I think that's that's the biggest thing I want to take away. Kayla, thank you so much for your time because listeners, she is in the midst of three plays at once. I can't express this enough. Yeah, <laughs> thank you so much. It's been a joy to chat to you. Thank you. Amy, you were in on my chat with Kayla. I'm going to let the listeners in a little sneak peek behind the curtain, the magic that goes into podcasts. And so did she butcher your quote about comedy and tragedy or was she pretty spot on? No, she was spot on, really. I don't know exactly what I said in rehearsal, but it's something I believe and am slightly obsessed with is the idea that, you know, it's so wrong to think of comedy and tragedy as opposite. When they are, you know, kissing cousins, they're they're, pre- they're two sides of the same thing. Uh-huh. And I think it's something we all feel and recognise in everyday life, that some of the funniest moments you find yourself suddenly sad or yeah. wanting to cry, or and some of the saddest moments you find yourself hysterically laughing. And I've certainly experienced that a lot. I think it's very common. So I think we imagine that they're separate, but actually... We all know that they're they're one and the same. They share yeah. a spine, I think. Yeah, definitely. I've worked with a lot of comedians over the very many years I've been a journalist. And of course, it's that tragedy plus time equals comedy. It's yeah. the same, but I think you're absolutely right that sometimes in the midst of tragedy, you are absolutely pissing yourself laughing. And yes. in the midst of laughing, it, it triggers some sort of other deeper emotion that you weren't ready to approach and you can end yes. up crying. It, it's very true. So anyway, Amy, your play Birth is the first in the triple bill. No pressure. (laughs) No pressure, no. Very calm. (laughs) Without spoilers, can you tell us a little bit about Birth, please? The play, not the process. (laughs) Sure. So my play is about a retired obstetrician and his wife, and they've just celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary, and they are surprised by a knock at the door just when they think that all the guests have gone. And it's someone uh, who neither of them know who has come with a very specific inquiry about the circumstances of her own birth. That's it without spoilers. I mean, I, I can say more in that it was inspired by, well, I'll tell you that when we, when the three writers got together, because we were given a very open brief in terms of what to write, and Alexis and Ryan and I got together and we talked about possible ways of writing very separate plays, but making sure that there was some kind of link as well as their Jewishness. And it was Ryan's wife who came up with the idea of birth, marriage and death. And we spent an afternoon just chucking anecdotes around and we each left with a topic. What a gorgeous collaborative process. 
it was great. It was great. But I think that I, I initially um, panicked slightly because the other two had told very specific stories about marriage and death. And I had been slightly kind of left with birth, which I was fine with. But then I, 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 I set off to go home and I thought, I'm the only one of us who doesn't have children. And although I'm very surrounded by children, you know, am I qualified to write about this? What, what angle will I take? And then I remembered that I had also been born myself. That is true. And that as a funny story attached, well, the story attached to my own birth, which is that I was delivered three and a half weeks early because the doctor had booked a holiday. Whoa. Which is something that happened seemingly in the 70s, but I don't think it would happen now. That was the spark of inspiration for writing so it's a it's a slightly unusual entry into the subject matter and entry into the world as well. Amazing, <laughs> yeah. and obviously I've not seen it as it's not premiered yet. But the bump around birth implies that one of the themes is timing. Am I correct? Correct. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm always interested in time and passage of it what we hold on to how we get over things whether we get over things and whether there's a kind of rightness to the way in which life unfolds even when it feels most wrong or whether life is random and I suppose that feels like a universal question but also a question that feels very much attached to my sense of face mm-hmm. Judaism could you elaborate a little bit more on why it feels so attached to your Jewishness and your faith? I suppose because I probably am, I think, out of the three writers in, in the show, I think I'm probably the most religious in a sense of actually, you know, yeah, I do. I, I You know, we all, we're all deeply culturally religious, but I think I and maybe this isn't uh, inaccurate in terms of the other two, but I have quite a strong sense of faith. We all feel that our Judaism is very important to us. It definitely is a deep part of my belief system. And I think the, 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 the act of holding on to faith in a turbulent world and the moments when you let go of it, stop believing, stop trusting, are very, very frequent. And... It's very hard to get hold of it again. Uh But for me, in my life, when I am able to maintain a sense of faith, everything seems to work better. Yeah, I I was raised Irish Catholic. I come from Irish Catholic stock, went to Catholic school. And it's really interesting when I see my mum, who still very much believes in a way that I don't believe, and the way faith has has helped her. And there's... And envy maybe sounds a bit aggressive, but there's a, there's a kind of like, oh, I, I wish I had that and I just don't. And it's fine. I've come to terms with that. But the comfort it has given her is incredible. It's it's like it's, mm. it's absolutely got her through some really shitty times. And I think it's amazing if, I mean, is she always able to keep hold of it? The worst times is when she's held on to it hardest, I think. Wow. Right. Yeah. Yes. Amazing. I mean, I don't think mine is. I think mine is more wavering than that. Um, but then I do come back to it, and I think, yeah, that that's something that I really wanted to explore 
lightly in this play is that sense of how we maintain it and what we do when it vanishes uh, and and yes how we might see you finding getting hold of it again I think it's maybe a generational thing. So you're 70s, a 70s child. I'm a 70s child. And my mummy is obviously that generation before us. And I think as yeah. our generation, we've had much more external influence that has questioned our faith or made us question faith and whether we have it. Yes. And it started to split. And what I, I find interesting, yes. I could be absolutely wrong. So please correct me. And for any Irish Catholics listening, I can only speak for me. And that is... I feel like with Judaism, with Jewishness, there's much more of a cultural life that goes alongside it than Catholicism. Right? I mean, I'm not, I'm not a practicing Catholic. I don't believe, but you know, I've got the guilt. I've had the guilt instilled in me, and that kind of comes with me. And I know there's a similarity there with it, with Jewishness yeah. as well. But I don't do any of the other rituals in the same way that people who are Jewish but don't necessarily have faith still do have those rituals. Am, am I right, or am I talking out my bum? No, I think you're right. I think you're right. I mean, I think there's so many l- ways of practicing Judaism, and some people feel it deeply in their bones, but do none of the stuff. You know, Friday night dinner is is a regular thing, which is a ritual with no uh, religious symbolism attached to it, except that you all get together and you see each other, and you might eat certain things. But it's basically making sure that you check in with the family on a Friday night Mm -hmm. and I think it's pretty sacrosanct for me certainly Um, and yeah I think you you pick and choose but there are certainly those rituals there which like um, Kayla was saying about the sitting shiver although that is very similar to an Irish way Mm -hmm. I think there probably are there in in all religions actually I was just thinking my, my niece goes to a Catholic school and she's absolutely bursting with all the stuff that they do and stuff that they learn and kind of combining that with her curiosity about Judaism. And it's quite fascinating. Yeah, I think as a kid, like when I was younger at school, it was really interesting. And then as a teenager, yeah. you're like, why am, why am I doing this again? Because it's, it's yeah. long. They like them to be long, yes. those masses. Yeah. Um, but yeah. a little bit like I was talking to you with Kayla, that kind of importance of showing what people maybe perceive as huge differences because the rituals are so powerful in these cultures and the similarities in all of them. It's a real hopeful way of bringing people together, right? Right? She says hopefully, right? No, I think that's absolutely right because I think all of us really went into the three writers and I think everyone in the room actually, we've all gone into it thinking the umbrella of the evening is Judaism we all bring our Judaism with us. It is us. But actually what we're interested in, in exploring is human nature, people, in all their humor and tragedy and funny little rituals and beliefs or not. And I think that you can achieve that dramatically by being specific, by choosing a minority to write about. And you can, I hope, find a universal Well, that's very hopeful. I have one last question for you. And that is, because obviously as the writer, you probably, you finished this ages ago. It's just not on yet. I wondered, what are you working on now? What's next? Well, I've got a very lovely commission to write something for Manhattan Theatre Club in New York. So I'm just at the very earliest point of thinking, what do I want to write about? I sound scary, exciting, a bit of both. Both. Yeah, both. 
Yeah. It's just like standing on the edge of the swimming pool. <laughs> Shall I jump? Shall I jump? Amy, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Lovely to talk to you too. Standard Issue for All Women.